Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. He told me he was nervous earlier, uh, but I don't think he could see it. Boy, I'm so glad to be here. This is uh, one of my favorite places to visit. I've only been a director of missions here for about a year and a half, but I met Pastor Steve, and we became uh, immediately uh, close friends, and I love him, have spent time with him, and uh, just was, I'm honored that he gave me the opportunity to come here and preach the word from his pulpit today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to uh, open them to the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. When I was a kid, I loved watching old westerns. I watch them occasionally now. One of the things that fascinated me <clears throat> about old westerns is the saloon fights. I loved that they could be fighting and throwing stuff, throwing chairs, breaking bottles, breaking chairs over people's head, and the piano player is still always playing, right? <laughs> one of the things they would do is uh, get together in those saloons and play cards and would watch, one of the favorite things to do is watch them negotiate and, and maneuver in those card games, and a person would pile up all their money or chips or whatever they had, and, and I didn't know a whole lot about poker, but as a kid I watched, it was really neat. When it came to a certain place, I'll call you, and I raise you, and I call you, and raise you. And there would always come a place where one of them would have this pile of money and would shove it in the middle of the table and say, I'm all in. Let's go. And they'd all have to decide if they're going to be in on that hand. We're going to talk this morning about being all in, but not in a poker game, not with your money, not with your chips, but being all in when it comes to following Christ as Savior. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. Verse one, so I'd invite you to stand to your feet in honor of the reading of the word of God this morning. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little away from the land. He sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. When they had done this, uh, verse seven, I'm sorry, so they signaled their partners in the other boat and for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to them, to said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. We thank you that now we're asking you to open our eyes that we could see incredible truth from your word today. And Lord, I pray always that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you alone are our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. 
Have you ever been prompted by God to do something that required a drastic adjustment in your life? You ever been called by God that required you to move into an area that you didn't understand and wasn't real clear to you? You ever been prompted by God to, when you think you're walking in this incredible, obedient, spirit-filled life, that there's another level of obedience that you have? Well, that's where we find Peter and some other disciples here. I believe at this point he'd already trusted Christ as his Messiah by faith, and he's been following Jesus to some degree, but not completely. We have evidence here that they haven't left their boats, they haven't left their nets, they're still fishing. Jesus is preaching to people, and they're still about their fishing business. Someone entitled this passage, as I was doing my study, How to Hook a Fisherman. That's a good one, How to Hook a Fisherman. And that this is a miracle that God works with a purpose. He worked every miracle with a purpose, but this one, there's, there's a catch to it. He'd invited these men to follow him, and he wanted them, I believe, in his initial invitation to follow me completely, but they haven't gotten to that place yet. Can you relate to that? The Lord says, follow me, and you do his the best you can. Maybe you're taking baby steps, but that's kind of where these guys were at this point, I believe. And they're fishing, and Jesus is out now to say, I want you not just to follow me, but I want you to follow me unconditionally. So this is a turning point. Simon becomes Simon Peter. Simon refers to Jesus as master and then ultimately Lord. So there's a turning point, at least in Peter's life and the life of these other disciples here. And Peter makes this confession, Lord, get away from me or leave me, move away from me because I'm a sinful man. He's confessing that he, he really sees where he is. He confesses, he doubts Jesus' ability. Remember uh, in, verse, in verse five there, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. He's, he's letting Jesus know, Lord, you're, you don't understand fishing like we do. <laughs> See, I'm the expert fisherman. Well, he may have been the expert fisherman, but Jesus was the master, right? So he has this this. This, I believe part of his, um, his confession of his sin is recognizing that he, that he doubted Jesus. And he's afraid. How's he gonna provide for his family if he leaves everything and follows him? What's he gonna do with his own inadequacies and his own abilities if he leaves everything and follows Jesus? Well, I love this. Jesus really, in, in this miracle of the catch of the fish, is saying to Peter, Peter, I can take care of everything. If fishing is your livelihood, I can take care of fishing, and he double fills the boats and, and lets Peter know, Lord, I've got, lets Peter know, Peter, I've got provision to meet your needs. And I believe he also demonstrated he had provision to forgive sin. I was doing some study this week about fishermen and why this might have been such a significant miracle to Peter as, as Jesus is calling him to leave that fishing business. And and the observation there is that Jesus gave him a catch of fish that was beyond anything he could have imagined. It was the biggest catch. How many of you are fishermen and like to tell fishing stories, right? Every time you tell them, they get bigger. The bigger the fish, right? Just, you, that's what you do. Really, Peter could say, you know what? I, I, I'm completely and totally yielded to Christ because he is master of the seas and he, he, he caught the biggest catch, the biggest fish, fishes I've ever seen. So let's look at six points of application or truth for us today, because we don't want to leave this at the Sea of Galilee. Here, uh, uh, Luke defines it as Gennesaret, it's the Sea of Galilee. We don't want to leave that back there 2,000 years. We want to bring it here and see, say, Lord, what would you have us as your followers to do in response to what we have in your word here today? So I hope you're taking notes. I know Pastor Steve likes, likes you to take notes. Number one, be faithful to what God has already called you to do. Be faithful to what God already told you to do. Look at verse three. 
he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. So Simon, Peter, gives him permission to use his boat. He's following, he's obeying to this, this extent that he knows to follow Jesus. So it reminds me, as a follower of Christ, wherever I am, I have to be faithful to what he has told me to do that is clear. Someone said, actually, I read this on Facebook, and I don't quote Facebook very often, <laughs> so I don't know who it was, but it's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. Have you found that? I found that to be the case. Peter, in essence, almost comes with a little bit of that agenda when he says, Lord, you don't know what it's like because we've been fishing all night. When we go into that situation, we need to be aware that God wants us to be faithful to what he's told us to do at this point. Scripture's pretty clear. If I'm gonna be faithful in the little things, he'll allow me to be faithful in bigger things. Sometimes we ask God to give us this great revelation of truth of guidance, of, a, of, a, of a, a picture of what he wants us to do. And, and in essence, the Lord's tapping us on the shoulder saying, hey, what about this that I asked you to do? What about this simple little thing? What about this little act of obedience? What about this hard attitude I'm asking you to change? Where, yeah, Lord, I know that, but I really want something big to do for you. And I think he calls us back to be faithful in what he's called us to do already. So that's where you begin. If you want to be open to what God is doing in your life and the plan that he has for you, just be faithful to what he's already told you to do. God used Peter where he was, as he was, and used him to bring him to where he wanted him to be. So number one, be faithful to what God has already told you. Number two, listen to God's instructions, trusting in him and in his timing, his plans. Listen to God's instructions, trusting in him and his plans. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, when Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Look at verse six. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. When they obeyed in that step, when Peter did what God asked him to do, he listened to God's instructions, he listened to God's plan, he did what God required of him, even though he didn't really understand it. In fact, not only did he not understand it, but he questioned it. Lord, we've been out all night fishing. Do you not understand how fishing works? It's at night when we catch the fish. We've covered that area. We've done all that. Yet Jesus has a plan that's beyond anything Peter possibly could have imagined. Hold that place there, and I want to go to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29. Listen to the Apostle Paul's instructions, this reminder of what we have in Christ. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to what? His purpose. We have heard this verse quoted, God works all things together for good, right? Have you heard it that way? I've heard it that way. God's gonna work all things together for good. Well, the Bible says he's gonna work all things together for good for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's using everything in my life because I'm a follower of Christ. I love him. I'm seeking him. I want his purpose and plan. He's using everything in my life 
for the, the good of his plan and his purpose. What is his plan and his purpose? That I would be conformed to the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ. Can I put it in simple words for me? God's gonna use all the stuff in your life to make you more like Jesus. To make you more transformed into the person that reflects the glory and the image and the wonder of Christ. Listen to God's instructions. Trust him. Trust his plans. I heard this years ago when I was a new pastor. If you, if you can't trust, if you, if you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. If you can't really follow exactly what God is up to, trust the giver of life. Trust the one who created you. Trust the one who has a plan for you. Just trust him. How many times have I told my kids, I, I really can't explain this to you. We have adult kids now. I, I actually still say this to them. I can't explain this to you, but just trust me with this. I've been through that. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. Trust me. And I, and I hope because of our relationship, they trust me. By the way, as director of missions, I'm uh, there, people are introducing me and they're saying, uh, Kevin has all these years experience as a pastor and I get up and I say, in all my years experiences, I've, I've made a bunch of mistakes and I'm just here to share with you out of my mistakes. Well, we don't have to worry about a heavenly father who made mistakes or makes mistakes. He can share with you out of his heart because he wants what's best for you and he always does right. We don't want to be like the folks who had a pilot on their airplane and he came over the intercom and he said, I have good news and I have bad news. First, the bad news, we're lost. And now the good news, we're making good time. I don't know if I want that to be the pilot of a plane I'm a passenger on. Where are we going? He doesn't know. He has no idea. But we're making good time. Folks, God doesn't operate that way. He knows where he's going. We don't. He knows when he's going to get us there. We don't. God knows more about it than we do, doesn't he? Um. As I was praying through this this week, I just God brought me back to personal testimony. So if, if I talk too much about myself today, please understand, I, I just want to share with you what God's done in my life because of who God is, okay? I had a plan to teach in a, in a college, and I had this plan for 10 years at least, maybe longer, had made application, but got accepted as an adjunct professor, and I was so excited that I was going to transition out of the pastor and into teaching because that's what I wanted to do. That's what I loved. I wanted to work with young students and encourage them and mentor them and God brought a hurricane to change those plans initially and then he through the hurricane we lost our home the school shut down I wasn't able to teach that first semester and I prayed God what are, what are you doing in all this because I I want to know what your plan is and your purposes are because obviously my plan's not working out and God impressed upon me through my own personal quiet would you be willing to give up your dream if God asked you to I'm, you know, I'm doing my devotional and I'm a pastor and I read this. Would you be willing to give up your dream if God asked you? And I, I write yes. And then I kind of, okay, Lord, you know I'd give that up if you wanted me to. If you really wanted me to, you know I'd really give it up. And guess what? <laughs> God's Holy Spirit just kept tugging at my heart. He wouldn't let me let it go. And I finally said, okay, Lord, not only do I give this dream up, I'm going to write the school and tell them I can no longer teach because you've, you've closed this door for me. Well, that was a hard letter to write, hard one to send, but it was easy because I knew that's what God wanted me to do. So what happens after that? Kevin's plan is, is gone. Well, God opens up the plan to be the director of missions for this area. So now I have 50 churches that I, I don't know what the term director of missions means, but basically it means for me that I have 50 churches that I get to come alongside pastors and staff and lay leaders and encourage them. And come alongside younger pastors and younger staff guys and, and encourage them. So I'm mentoring, I'm doing what I was 
had a passion to do, but it wasn't my plan. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to God's instruction. I'm following his plan because he knows more than I do. So be faithful to what he's called you to do. Listen to his plan. Number three, obey Jesus when he calls you out to a deeper commitment. Obey Jesus when he calls you out to a deeper commitment. Let's look at verse three through five again. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. Put out some more, go further. And he sat down and began teaching the people. But then he finished speaking, he said, put out into the deep water and let down your nets. And we just read this. He said, Master, I've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down my nets. I will do as you say. Now, I don't want to spiritualize the deeper water thing and say that's exactly what he's saying, but I, I do believe there's a principle here, and I'm just using the word deep because that helps me understand that sometimes God pushes me out of the shallow end into the deeper end. And he calls me to that. When I was a kid, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and uh, one of the highlights when you live in the desert is to go find a swimming pool. <laughs> And we went to this swimming pool at this, this uh, community area, and, and I decided I was going to learn to swim, but we didn't have lessons, and so I'm going to have to teach myself. And, and here's what happened. I started in the baby pool, and it worked great because the water was just about here in the baby pool. By the way, it was about that deep, okay? It was right to my waist. And I played in that baby pool until I felt like I had enough understanding of the water to move to the little bit bigger pool, the intermediate pool. And then... I got used to that and got comfortable there until I went to the big pool. I tell you what, I, one of the things that moved me from the baby pool to the big pool was all my friends were in the big pool. That's real uh, humbling when you're, you go to swim with your buddies and you say, I'm going to be over here in the kiddie pool. I'll meet you when I can figure it all out. And this motivation for me to get out of the shallow water to get into the deeper water drove me to do whatever I needed to do, whatever it would take to get me into the deeper water. And you know what? A lot of fear came in that with that. A lot of uneasiness, a lot of trusting in my, my family to say, you can do this, Kevin. So I, th I thought about that, that personal life experience where God comes into my life today and he's always calling me out to a deeper commitment. He doesn't leave me where I was. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't call you and then say you're good? You've come to know me as personal savior, Jesus says, and just you're fine right there, but he calls us to trust him as personal savior and ask his forgiveness of sin and we give our life to him and then he begins to move us to deeper levels of commitment with him. And that often calls for an adjustment in our life. An adjustment in our life. I was thinking through biblical characters a while back Shared this with another church. I'm gonna share it with you. Thinking about Noah, he could not live his life as usual and build the ark. He had to make some adjustments to his life to build that ark. Abram couldn't stay in the land of Ur and become the father of a new nation. He had to move. Moses couldn't stay in the desert and deliver the people of God. David couldn't stay with the sheep and become the king of a nation. Jonah couldn't stay at home in his prejudice and preach to the Ninevites. And then Peter 
Andrew, James, John, couldn't stay in the fishing business and follow Jesus unconditionally. Listen, the single greatest difficulty you may find in your Christian life is right at that point of adjustment. Whether he's asking you to change your plan, to lay aside your dream, to be stretched personally, to be whatever, at that point of adjustment, that may be that crisis for you, that, that place of difficulty. But it's what he calls us to. John Maxwell said it this way, a ship is safe in a harbor. But that's not ships, what ships were built for. You can live a safe Christian life, but that's not what he created you for. Peter could have lived a safe uh, relationship with Christ, a safe Christian life with Christ as he was and stay in the fishing business, but it's not what God called him to do. In my own personal life, whenever God has stirred my heart to take it to the next level, I've had this this discussion with the Lord. Maybe you do this too. Lord, I, I don't think I can do that. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and underqualified. And I go back and look at my Christian life and every single time God has challenged me to move beyond just being a, a church member sitting in the pew, just coming to church, just a one time a week thing, every time he's moved me beyond that, I've been overwhelmed and I felt underqualified. My own personal call in the ministry, to the ministry, to leave a, a career in business came to that point where I said, Lord, you, you really, I think you have the wrong guy. I think you have the wrong guy. I'm willing, but I think you have the wrong guy. Jill Briscoe has written a book. It's, this, is, this is the title. Here am I, send Aaron. It's the life of Moses. That's where I was. Lord, here I am. I'm willing, but you got to use somebody else because I'm not qualified. Listen, God doesn't call the qualified. He calls the faithful. And then he qualifies us. Then he equips us. Then he... Then he works in our lives. Listen, if you feel underqualified and overwhelmed, you might be right where God wants you. Because if you feel that, you know what? Chances are you're not gonna do it in your own strength, in your own power, in your own energy. What are you gonna do? You're gonna trust in the one who called you. You're gonna trust in that relationship with Christ. You're gonna trust in the depth of your walk with him. He calls us to that deeper commitment. And I wanna extend the challenge to you. What's God calling you to? today. Maybe he is calling some of you. Now, now this, some people have preached this passage and said God wants everybody to leave their vocation and be in the ministry. I don't that, think that's what the teaching is here, but I believe he is calling some to leave their vocation and prepare for ministry. What about you? And I'm thankful that my pastor challenged me. Was, Kelly's dad was my pastor. You want to have something fun? Marry the pastor's daughter. That's, that's, that's an interesting experience. That's who I was known as, the pastor's son-in-law. But anyway, uh, her dad challenged me constantly, constantly to be sensitive to the call of God in my life and that it may be moving beyond my plans for my business life. It may, it may include stopping that and going back to college and having a full-time career in vocational ministry. Now, I thank God that today... That doesn't have to be the norm. So many people are being called and they're staying in their vocation. They're, they're adjusting their life to serve God. And I, I thank God for that. But sometimes God says, I want you just to stop. Some of our friends are with us here from Rockport, the Kennedys. They're, they're missionaries to Thailand. They were in our church and we were both had careers, both had plans, both had 
both had this vision for what they wanted to do with their life, but God said, I want you to stop, to go get some training, to be commissioned by the International Mission Board to go to Thailand. And they said, yes. So don't say I'm too old. Try that one on Caleb. Wasn't he 80? He took on the hill country. So sometimes Jesus calls you to that deeper walk where you need to, you need to make a major adjustment in your life. But often, often it's just an adjustment in the way you relate to him, the things you value, the things that are precious. Number four. Is that where we are, number four? By the way, I didn't see, oh, there's a clock right there, okay. Um, I forgot to see when I was supposed to stop, but we'll do it, all right? Number four. Resist the temptation to second-guess God's instructions. Kind of already said this, but I just want us to be clear about that. Resist that temptation to second-guess God's instructions. We've read this multiple times here, and I'm just going to highlight again um, on verse three, uh, verse 5. When Jesus says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. That's second-guessing, but I will do as you say. Jesus, we've done everything that needs to be done, and it's not working. But you're calling us to do something different. So God, we're not going to second guess you. We're going to trust you. Listen, I don't know how much went on in Peter's mind, how much time there was between master, we've caught nothing, but we'll do as you say. I'd like to believe it was right there. He just said it. That he just initially says, I'm questioning whether this is going to work, but master, Lord, we're going to do exactly what you call us to do. So many times... I've watched God work in ways where I second-guessed his assignment. I second-guessed his choices. I second-guessed his plan. And I thank God that looking back now I can see, I'm so glad I trusted him. I'm so glad I trusted his heart in those areas. We had some, a family in our church whose father was aging and he had this old beat-up car, I think it was a 19... 60s or 70s car stuck in a garage somewhere and he went to the family and said I'm going to start fixing that car up he didn't drive but he put new tires on it got a tune-up cleaned it up got it all ready to go to to leave it parked in the garage ready to go and his family said I don't understand why dad wanted to do that with the car we couldn't figure it out and then we did a ministry in our church called care and share and somebody in our church said would you pray with me about God providing a car for this family you know what happened that family, said, that, that family said, we have a car that's sitting in a garage. We don't know why dad fixed it up. We don't know why he spent that money on it before he passed away. We have a car, and apparently God wanted that car for this family, so we connected the dots. Now, no one could explain why this man fixed his car up since he can't drive. But looking back on it, can you see why this man fixed his car up? Because God had prompted him to do that. That's the way he works. Resist that temptation to second-guess him. Number five. Watch God work when you yield to him. Be faithful to what you already hear, what you already know. Listen to his instructions. Obey him to go to that deeper commitment. Resist the temptation to second guess him and watch God work when you yield to him. Verse six, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Now, this, this, this event, this miracle wasn't just all about the fish. It was all about Jesus demonstrating to him that he's Lord over nature. Jesus demonstrating to him that he can be their provider. He can take care of them. I think about the, how God works wonders when we step aside and let him have it. 
Think about the feeding of the multitudes when Jesus tells his disciples, go find them something to eat. And they're like, well, you don't have enough money to, to feed all these people. And what does God end up using? Five loaves and two fish. Has the, is it five loaves and two fish, right? I'm always getting the five and two mixed up. Some loaves and fishes, all right? And this little boy gives his lunch up in one of the accounts, and, and Jesus multiplies that. Can you just give him what you have? Just yield it to him and watch him work. Watch him take over. Watch him move. Watch what happens when God shows up. I was rehearsing the life of Moses, thinking about how many times did Moses get stuck in a tight spot when he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the promised land. At the end of his rope, over and over and over again. And sometimes Moses did the right thing and he yielded to God, other times he didn't. But he seemed to be always at the end of his rope. And when he yielded completely to God, that's when things took shape and began to happen. The last thing I would say for us is if we do these five, if we understand the principles of those five, number six is this, willingly lay aside your plans to follow Jesus. Just willingly lay aside your plans. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me. He mentions the amazement in verse nine and he says, James and John were there, the sons of Zebedee, partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. I like what Joe Stoll says, true followers of Jesus are netless followers. <laughs> they laid down their nets, they laid down their boats, they said we are late leaving it all to follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Willingly. How many times in Christian history have we watched people willingly lay down everything for what God called them to do? How many times in the life of this church, maybe in your family, maybe your own personal experience, have you been called to lay something down and when you did, when you gave it up, when you yielded it, God took charge and took over. There's a ministry in South Asia. It's a Hindu nation, so the missionaries are there. Uh, churches are being planted, but they didn't publicize the name of this, this country. But it's a Hindu country and lots, lots of oppression and, and um, persecution for, toward Christians. And some church planners there decided they needed to develop a list of questions to ask people who are thinking about being baptized. People who are, who are thinking about making their faith public like we do today, we say, I'm professing faith in Christ through baptism. They decided they need a list of questions to prepare people for the commitment they're about to make. So here's the seven questions. It's a reality check for them. Number one, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your family? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and, and those who persecute you Forgive them and share the love of Christ with them. Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Folks, that's what they ask people who are thinking about going public with their faith. You know what I was asked? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Yes. Are you professing faith today that you've trusted him as your savior? Yes, those are the questions I answered and I was baptized and I went public. Not in that nation, 
because they wanted people to understand to trust Jesus means you're gonna lay it all down for him. Be faithful to what he's called you to do. Just take the next step of obedience. Listen to his instructions. Trust him. Trust his plans. And if he calls you out into a deeper commitment, a more um, passionate uh, following of him, a more yielded heart, a more committed lifestyle, follow him. Resist the temptation of trying to guess, second guess him and watch him work and then willingly, willingly lay down everything for him. Jim Dennison tells a story that while he was in college, he was in Malaysia, a little small church there. Uh, a young lady, a teenager, had come to be baptized and they baptized her and, and it was a big celebration. And, and Jim Dennison notes, he says, there's a suitcase over there back leaning against the wall in the church and just later he asked the pastor what's up with that suitcase and the pastor said oh that that belongs to that teenager her dad told her if he was baptized that she had to move out so she showed up with her suitcase are you ready to do that i don't know what it means for you to trust christ as savior but this to believe that jesus died for you that he gave his life blood for you to forgive you of your sins and that you need to be willing at that point to turn from your sin and trust him as Savior. And I don't know what that's going to mean beyond that, but, but everyone needs to make that commitment of repenting of sin and trusting him as Savior. If you've never done that, in a few minutes we're going to wrap up and have an opportunity for you to make that commitment. If you'd understand that Jesus gave it all for you, there's nothing you can do to earn it. We'd invite you to trust him as Savior, and as best you know how, to lay it all down for him, to say, Lord, I give you my life. But maybe in a congregation this size on a Sunday morning like this, the majority of you would say, Kevin, I know Christ is Savior. I'm, I'm a believer. I have a, the assurance that I'm going to heaven. So my question for you is, what's that next level that he's calling you to? What's that next step of obedience? Would you be willing to say yes to him today? Would you be willing to do that? Let's bow our heads and pray together. I invite the worship team to come up as we prepare for a time of commitment. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that it is truth without error, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it cuts to the quick. Lord, my prayer this morning is that as you've revealed to us once again how you worked in the life of Simon Peter, you still want to work in our lives the same way. Lord, if there's some here this morning who do not know Christ as Savior, I pray that this would be the day that they would say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I turn from my sin and by faith I trust Christ. Lord, if there are others here today, maybe you're calling someone to take up a responsibility in the life and ministry of this church, maybe as a, an, a, as a leader. Lord, maybe you're calling someone out to say, Lord, the Lord is calling me into the mission field. I don't know what that means. Or maybe to, to go to school and be trained to be in vocational ministry. Lord, whatever that call, I pray that you would have your way and your will during these moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to step down here. I believe some of our other leaders are going to come and we invite you to respond.
wonder just for a few moments if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes and I'm going to ask the worship team if they would sing another verse of this song. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just let this be your time of surrender? Maybe that commitment he's asking you to make is just a simple yes where you stand. These folks are still going to be down here. You need to pray with someone. As, as we sing, you just pray right now.